Over the last 20 years working in restaurants, I met a lot of really interesting people. Uh, Bourdain called us pirates and misfits, and he couldn't be more right. Um, we really were, um, I say were, we are a hodgepodge of cultures and backgrounds, and we get to play with food all day, and we get to make a living doing that, and it's pretty damn awesome. This is what Inside the Pressure Cooker is all about. It's about making some new friends and sharing some stories with some old friends. And listen, we all know that life inside a kitchen is not for everyone. We've seen plenty of people come and go that thought they could hack it, and they couldn't. Um, it really does take a special someone not only to survive, but to really thrive in an environment of just what feels like complete fucking chaos but it's pretty damn controlled. And then just the constant pressure and the stupid hours you put in, not to mention it can be a very thankless job. Before you know it, it's all in your blood and it's the only thing you know and you need more. It's an addiction. This is the bond that all line cooks and chefs share. Um, it's becoming the heartbeat of the kitchen, as cliche as that fucking sounds, but it's in our blood which means it's fucking pulsing through our veins, and it's what we live for. Hey, quick interruption before we jump on to the rest of this. Two things. First, there's a link in the, in the show notes that, well, it's not really a link, it's my email. Please, I want to hear some feedback from y'all. What do you love? What do you not love? Um, this is how I learn. And the second part, I've set up a Patreon account for this podcast. Uh, the link is also in the show notes below. Please, if you're able to, we would love any contribution you're able to support us with. We all have costs that we need to try to cover with this show, and any support would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Let's kick off then. Caitlin, give me your 30-second elevator pitch. Who who are you? I am a 30-year-old female chef. I am actually currently uh, disabled. I uh, got sick in 2020, and I have not been able to return to work. Um, I'm headstrong. I'm very strong-willed, stubborn, hardworking. I, uh, I don't know when to quit, and I am also a survivor of abuse, Ooh. which has really shaped my life. Yeah, I can imagine so. So. Let's talk a little bit. Um, you mentioned a little bit um, kind of offline that you're kind of a product of the pirate era and the white collar era. Like kind of expand on that for me. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, Anthony Bourdain was the one that, you know, called us pirate. So my chef instructors and my mentors uh, obviously were older than me. So they were a product of the pirate era, you know, yelling at you. I got a knife thrown at me one time for dropping a $30 piece of fish. Um, I've had plates slung at me. I've been called every name in the book and I've given back as well as I've gotten to much to their chagrin. But um, for the last six years, you know, I worked in corporate and corporate now is a whole kettle of fish. I can't tell you how many times I got called into the office and they were just like, can't call them a fucking idiot. <laughs> No matter what they're trying to do, you can't do that. And I'm like, yes, chef. That's great. You can't tell them to get the fuck out of your way. I'm like, what am I supposed to say then? 
I said, excuse me, three times. And they still won't get the fuck out of my way. I got shit to do. <laughs> you can't say that. So how long did you last in the corporate world then? Uh, six years, actually. I um, I was with a compass group about a year after I graduated culinary school. You know, I started out as a part-timer, one of their U.S. concepts, which is like a retail kitchen, basically. Mm-hmm. And you have contracts with, we had a contract with, um, with a bank in, uh, in Charlotte. So, you know, basically they paid us to be there to feed their employees, but we still had to make, you know, a profit. So Compass Group is actually like the number seventh employer in the world or something like that. They have a lot of different sectors. You know, obviously it sounds like it was more of a cooking was like a release for you to kind of get rid of that, that pressure and that tension. And it just, it made you feel good. Um, you know, but cooking in the industry is, is very different. So how did you know though, once you were cooking and you were professionally cooking, so to speak, that it's like, okay, I've made the right decision. Like I'm in the right spot. How did you know? Did you know? I did. I, okay. So my mom left us kids when, uh, I was six, my brother was six months old, and my sister was nine, right? And we had to have dinner on the table by six. So I cooked a lot, and I absolutely loved it when people would eat my food and they would be happy. After I was in the industry, you know, through all the stress and the pressure, just seeing someone love my food is just uh, the best. Just to see people happy. I 100% understand that. You know, I really feel like we feed the soul. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's sometimes we're just providing fuel for people, but that feeds our soul. And, you know, sometimes we're we're cooking for other people's soul. (laughs) I mean, that's, as you know, we've got, uh, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas where, you know, everybody kind of gets together and, you know, and every, there is always something that's going on. But a lot of times, you know, all of those traditional dishes that are out there, they're more there for nostalgia and to kind of feed your soul a little bit because it's it that reminds you of the nostalgia. It takes you back to someone's house or that memory. So food is a very powerful element. It is. It's very connected to uh, memory, especially smell. Yeah, I remember reading something about that where food, like food has got one of the strongest triggers um, for both, uh, for any memory, because it involves essentially all the senses. Yeah, and being transported back to, you know, that time when you were happy or, you know, when you were with friends. Mm -hmm. So it can be, you know, a really great, you know, mood booster and... You know, I feel like mental health and depression doesn't get talked about enough. And um, like we've said, like you guys have said on the podcast before, is that drugs and alcohol is only going to drag you down. Well, but behind every addiction is a problem with your mental health. Is that why you stress eat? (laughs) Yes, it is why you stress eat. Especially chocolate, because uh, chocolate metabolizes into serotonin, which is, you know, the get happy drug. But all but all of your serotonin is made in your gut. It's all made in the gut? So that's why 
It is. Learn something every day. I did not know that. This is why I like the science of food. It's very interesting. Hmm. Got to start taking better care of my gut. <laughs> Trust yes, me. Absolutely. I, that's a whole other story there. But um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the one thing that still has not recovered from my illnesses uh, from 2020. Trust me, nobody wants to hear about that. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, so it sounds like you've got, I, I mean, you're obviously a product of your past. Uh, we all are, whether we really know it or not. Um, but you've definitely have seen a lot of adversity and challenges. And um, I mean, you definitely are not the type of person just from talking to you that's going to let that dominate you or or let you play the victim by any means. Oh, hell no. I learned from an early age that when you get knocked down, you get back up. And that's what grit is. And you have to have grit. That was a great word. To be able to survive. Yep. And, you know, the restaurant industry, if you don't have grit, it will eat you alive and it will spit you back out. <laughs> there was this one kid that I went to school with. He started his first job in a restaurant after we graduated and he could only do one dish at a time like Ooh. now that one dish was beautiful but you know they gave him like some feedback and he just kind of fell apart because he was you know we were competitive and cold was the school. feedback something like hurry the fuck up <laughs> yeah yeah and he just kind of fell apart and I was just shaking my head like, dude. You should be able to go into food styling, not uh, commercial production. Yes. You know, go somewhere where you can just make food look pretty. How many people um, from your class, whether it's a number or a percentage, do you think are still cooking today from your culinary school? Statistically, between 5 and 8%. Okay. That sounds about right. Or, well, yeah, that number might have dropped a little bit since... 2020. Yeah, that's uh, it's funny how COVID was. It almost needs to be re renamed like the Great Alignment or realignment. Yes, there was you know a big shift and a lot of uh, pivoting uh, during 2020. And uh, you know even those of us who had it together and was you know rolling with the punches. You know some of us got sick and were not able to cook in you know the kitchen anymore and. That just sucks. There's so many great chefs and great people that we have lost. And I really feel like our industry is really in danger right now because there are labor shortages everywhere across the country. No matter how well you pay, no matter what your yep. benefits are, like they're starting to like mechanize a lot of stuff, even in like uh, casual dining restaurants. Uh-oh. You're starting to get into some, uh, yeah. <clears throat> what was it? Patrick and I were talking about uh, conspiracy theories here. <laughs> oh, no, I know. I joke about it. But um, what, it, how AI, though, is coming into so much more. And uh, man, I mean, those MIT students are, are creating robots to, to cook, to essentially take over cooking. Um, you know, there's there's robots that are out there already in use in restaurants right now um, to, I mean, now the only person, the only thing they got to do is change a fire oil, maybe, maybe, um, or just hit the button to turn it on and get it programmed. 
Um, but there's, it's out there and it's real and it is actually happening right now. Yeah. My husband, um, he actually works in a casual dining restaurant and they're a test kitchen because they're just so shorthanded all the time, um, that they're introducing like a warmer drawer that keeps the potatoes warm for, you know, X amount of time after you pull them out. Just other little things like that, that reduces labor. Yeah, I bet there's been a lot of people having to go back to that drawing board and just, hey, everything was designed to do this. Now we need it to do this. Like, I mean, it's almost like NASA astronauts, like scrambling. To, like, hey, we're, we're, uh, we're running out of gas. What do we do? Yeah. So this time has definitely really tapped into creativity especially for owner operators. I mean, it's funny you say that because it's, I mean, creativity has suffered in some ways, but it hasn't in others. Like we've had to get more creative in just different ways. Um, and so sometimes the food can be just as creative uh, for, for chefs that are able to put some of their input into it and, and be creative with it. Um, some of them had to get more creative because they have whether it's less people and also just trying to make, you know, um, their margins on, on even less or make up for, um, some food costs, um, just as, as those prices go up. Um, but then there's also just getting creative on figuring it out. Like, how is this all going to work when, if someone doesn't show up? So, I mean, but I also know what you're saying because in some ways it creative is suffered because they're not able to, in some ways it, it's become where there was creativity. It's been more standardized to eliminate creativity because a lot of ownership always believed that creativity caused food costs to go up. Mm, yeah, that's their impression, but it's really not true. No, I have not. noticed on menus. I've seen a lot more cross-utilization of ingredients. That's a trend I've definitely been noticing. And then they're working the people that they have to death, trying to use up every little scrap that they have, turn in, turning it into something new. Hmm. And I found that to be very interesting. Like, it's definitely something that... Um, that I worked on in uh, 2020, you know, like they're really going back to like more old school methods. Like we have this fat from, I don't know, we cut off some fat from a ribeye. Well, they're rendering it down to use for cooking now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, granted, I worked in a hospital that was in the middle of, you know, podunk. So they loved country cooking, which was so boring. So fucking boring. Even at a hospital? And I see. So when Compass Group, when they have a contract with a hospital, they don't just feed the patients. Yeah. They also have a retail area that feeds the employees. Yep. No, I've just known so, in general, there's so much of that is even with the employee side of things, everything is so. Um, there's not a lot of effort. 
<laughs> I think that would be the best way to put it. And I, I've spent some time in hospitals. Uh, my son is, um, got some long-term medical issues. And like this last summer, we spent two weeks in a hospital just for a couple surgeries. So I had plenty I'm of hospital food during that time. So I get it. Yeah, that was my first um, chef manager job, which, you know, was really hard for me. That transition was very difficult. And believe it or not, I had an all-female staff. There's a lot more women in healthcare than there generally are in other sectors. But having an all-female staff was a whole different kettle of fish. You know, then 2020 hit. And then, you know, you got to make this change and that change. And even though I just finished that, I got to go back and do this. So I would wear, you know, three and four hats a day. Yeah. You know, chef manager, grill cook, patient cook, and to have to take trays up to the patients. Okay, five, because I'd wash dishes too. Why would you, why do you think but, there is more females in the hospital sector than whether it's catering or restaurants? It's kind of interesting. I never would have, or maybe was it just that area or is that statistically pretty common? That's statistically pretty common that there's a lot more um, females in healthcare. So in the first kitchen that I worked in, there was, or the first healthcare kitchen I worked in. So there's politics everywhere, right? And I hate politics with a burning passion. But some of those politics and policies in place protect the female employees more. Because they have somewhere to go if they're being sexually harassed or intimidated or whatever. And there's more support for females in general. Interesting. So... It's just a safer place is what you're saying then. Yes, absolutely. With as, with my experience across the board, that was definitely a place where I could make my voice heard. And I think that's why females stay in those kitchens. Because there's a lot of women that'll quit from, you know, like casual dining or fine dining simply because of harassment. Or being talked down to or not being, you know, appreciated. It comes down mm -hmm. to culture. How much of that culture you think is kind of that pirate era? Is like you mentioned like the pirate era in the beginning, like versus the white collar era where, you know, definitely more white collar in uh, hospitals for obvious reasons. You've got, you know, HR <laughs> people that are uh, watching you all the time. And mm -hmm. in smaller restaurants, um, you're not going to have that. But there's an age difference as well. There's a generational difference that is expecting kind of the white collar, we'll just say treatment. Um, but a lot of people that are still running the restaurants and owners are very much so in the pirate era. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And that's kind of where that disconnect is maybe? Yes. And some of the chefs have made that transition, and some of them have not. Hmm. And the ones that I see that have not made the transition is, like you said, in places that have less oversight. Yeah, I can see that. Because if you've got, you know, someone in HR across the hall from your kitchen, 
that you can go talk to, then, you know, especially in a hospital setting, they're going to have to do something about it. There's a zero tolerance policy, mm-hmm. not just with the hospital. And that's a contract. When you sign the contract, you agree to those terms is a zero tolerance policy. Now, when you get away from, you know, hospitals and healthcare facilities, you know, schools, and you go into even like casual dining, all you don't have an HR person in the building the majority of the time. You just have, you know, whoever the kitchen, you know, managerial staff right. is, and they're going to be, you know, your older, more piratey chefs for sure. Because in like, just like in regular kitchens, I'm going to put it that way. Um, can I start over? Sure. So in like restaurant kitchens, mm-hmm. there's a lot more pressure. There's a lot more chaos. There's less organization. And there's less structure. So I don't know if I'd necessarily agree with that part, though. What I mean by that is the patients have to be fed at a certain time. Uh, the patient count fluctuates uh, some from day I to day. I see where you're going with that. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah. And then retail has to open by a certain time. I got gotcha. you. Every day. Yeah, restaurants are a lot more free for all. Ebb and flow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Keep going. Um. So even if the chef isn't complicit. You can't be everywhere at once. You can't see everything. So I feel like those kinds of complaints are a lot easier to sweep under the rug, right? Because it's a, you know, person versus person. Hmm. He said, she, she, you know, she said, right? And more people have their heads down just trying to do their work. They're not really paying attention. Yeah. I mean... I'd, I'd hate to think that it's just a, a always a he said, she said. I mean, obviously, whenever there's an accusation, you know, there needs to be some form of follow up. Um, but to me, that's also just I think you've mentioned this as well. Like, that's just 100 percent a culture thing, regardless of the size of your uh-huh. restaurant. Um, and And honestly, I think that's a big issue with a lot of these so-called, I don't want to say so-called, but like staffing issues. Um, you know, I, I've gone to some places where they're short staffed, they're struggling and you can just tell, um, and you can also feel a difference. Um, and then you'll go somewhere else and you look around and you're like, staffing is not an issue here. Um, and, but it also feels different and it's just, you know, they're staffed because people want to be there. Uh-huh. So, <clears throat> I mean, without turning into a big corporate behemoth where everything is about, oh man, I, I don't want to say rules and regulations because that's it. Um, I mean, what's the solve for that, you think? I mean, outside of just, I mean, God, how do you even answer that? I'm, I'm kind of, how does anyone answer that? And thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Pressure Cooker. If you enjoyed this episode and feel like you're able to take something away from it, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. Um, if you don't use Apple Podcasts, please follow us, as well as share this episode with a friend. This is a publication by Rare Plus Media, hosted and produced by me, From Rare Plus Media and myself, Chad Kelly, thank you for listening. Keep kicking ass.